Thanks for joining us through the Crossbridge Podcast. We hope this message speaks to you wherever you may be on your spiritual journey and helps you take your next step of growth in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Crossbridge or to speak with one of our ministry team members, please visit crossbridge.church. Welcome. In fact, welcome to Crossbridge. My name is Kevin, and I'm the lead pastor, and uh, I'm thankful to have the opportunity to speak to uh, our Peru campus, our Morris campus, as well as our online campus. Uh, I'm, I'm just glad that you choose, you give us the opportunity uh, to share with you, and you choose to show up and worship with us. We're continuing in the story. In fact, uh, I'm going to pick up last week. If you missed last week, crossbridge.church, you can catch up on that. Um, but last week we stopped talking about, uh, really ended talking about Manasseh. And, um, and, and the deal was, you know, Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, um, we talked about he was not a good king. And so we're, we're going to pick up right there. In fact, you, you just heard the reading from the story. And one of the things that, that um, was in that that I think was really kind of almost hard to hear is when we heard there was no remedy. No remedy. What we have as we read through this story is the fact that we are at the end of the rope. In fact, the Crash and Burn series, it's ending today because this is kind of, uh, this is the worst of the worst. Like this is the end of the really bad news. And, uh, and the question would be is how did Israel get here? God had established a nation of Israel, just a little bit of review, uh, to reveal himself and to provide a way to get his people back. He gave them the law, how life works with God and how life should work with each other. And uh, people would see this, you know, from the outside, would see this beautiful life and be drawn to God because of the life that these folks were living in community with one another, worshiping the one true God. And here's what I've said week after week and has really been true throughout the whole story is that the people always had trouble living up to their end of the bargain. It's funny, hundreds of years later, right, we still have trouble Uh, living up to our end of the bargain. That God is so faithful, and yet we struggle with faithfulness. You know, God gave them chance after chance after chance to listen. And the truth is, they they just weren't good listeners. And they struggled to follow him, and instead, uh, seemed like they were always wandering off doing their own thing. God could have started a whole new group of people, but he chose not to. In fact, um, you know, one of the promises that he made was that the Messiah, this coming king, would come from Judah. And we talked last week about God is a keeper of his promises. And when he makes a promise, you can count on it. We've seen over the last few chapters that God is shrinking Israel down to this little remnant. The once big, unstoppable force of Israel is now, um, you know, was divided and now really is just we're looking at the south and it's, it's really a mess. And so here's what you have. Second Kings chapter 21 verse 1 says this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Now, across our campuses, if I'm looking out at Peru or I'm looking out at Morris or even online, here's what I'd say. Think of a 12-year-old you know. Just think of a 12-year-old. A few of them come to mind for me. And then imagine them being crowned king. Like, we, we wonder why everything went wrong the way it did. Um, how many 12-year-olds are ready to be kings? 
And then here's what it says about Manasseh. Here's what we just know, right? A little history lesson. Manasseh didn't just do evil. Um, he did so much evil. He was like the worst of the worst. He was a terrible king, and he shed a lot of innocent blood. Scripture says that he did more evil than even the Amorites. And, and the Amorites were the people that did so much evil that God stripped them of their land and gave it to the Israelites. So just a picture here, right, as, as we think about kind of the end of the end. Um, you have Hezekiah, a great king, who passes it on to his 12-year-old son, Manasseh, who ended up being a terrible king, who um, basically, it says, was a very, very evil leader. You know, what we find here is that God was still raising up prophets, you know, to give people messages. In fact, um, here's what it says in Second Chronicles. So listen to this. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. This leads us to, um, you know, really to kind of dive in here, um, but keep, keep this in mind, big picture. If, if they're living in this mess, and the mess that they've created, um, that they've really leaned away from God's ways, and for God to continue to look at them and call them his people, um, the, the truth is, those folks, as they're living, they're, they're not this picture of... Uh, people who would follow the one true God. In fact, they're not a great representative for God. They're a terrible representative for God. And, and, and so there comes a point where he says, I can't continue to endorse these people because these people are not doing a good job of endorsing me. Uh, they're, they're not drawing people to this relationship. Probably, if anything, they're, they're sending people away. And so here's what we get. God decides that he has no other choice but to discipline them. And he does so with a very distinct purpose. Now, this is just a little sidebar. Um, as your pastor, I, I, w- I want to share this with you, that not all the bad stuff in this world can be contributed to uh, the discipline of God. In, in fact, this world, we know this, is filled with disease, um, is filled with terrible things that go wrong, terrible things that happen, and the last thing I would want you to do is to take away that the terrible things that are happening in, in your life or around your life, the sickness, the cancer, whatever it may be, that that, that is coming from God, that, that God is actually causing that. I, I do not want that to be in your head. In fact, I don't believe that God causes things like cancer. I do believe God can take things like cancer and bring the absolute best good out of something very, very bad. I think what's at stake in this conversation is God's goodness. And that if we're not careful, um, you know, we begin to put God in this other light that his goodness can go out the window, and, and that's, that's an issue. In fact, God works in all things. It doesn't say that God causes all things. As we look at God's character, it's important that we look at him. Now, this, this is really big, I think, as we've talked about this book, as we've talked about the story, that as we look at God's character, it's important that we think of his character and we look at who God is according to the whole book, the whole picture of God, not just one act or one story or one chapter. 
There's times, I think, where we could be reading a certain chapter and we could get a view of God and we would go, ooh, like, who is this God? And one of the things I would say is keep on reading. That we keep on reading and that we keep on digging to see who God is across the whole story. In fact, um, I, would, I would even go far to say this. If, if you want to see a perfect picture of who God is, then we need to get a little further in the book because we need to look at Jesus. Jesus was sent as the Son of God um, to reveal to us what God looks like. In fact, um, just to take this a step further, Jesus actually says in John 9, when he's walking along with the disciples and he sees a blind man among them, um, someone says, they ask the question, who sinned that this man, is it, was it this man that sinned or his parents that he was born blind? And here's what John chapter 9, verse 3 says is Jesus' response. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You know, that's, that's really important for us to understand. I, out of all the bad things that are happening, that God is always at work trying to redeem and draw people to him and reveal his goodness and bring about his best in spite of a messed up world full of sin and death that we live in. Before I go any further, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you. I thank you for today, and I thank you for every person who is worshiping with us here at Crossbridge. I'm thankful for our online campus. I'm thankful for every person sitting uh, at Peru. I'm thankful for every person sitting at, at Morris School. Um, and God, we are we're just grateful that we can worship you, and I'm thankful for who you are. And I pray that we would hear that today, and that we would keep in context your goodness and who you are as our Heavenly Father who loves your children even as I work my way through this message. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's talk a little bit more. Um, again, back to the story. We're at a place where God chooses to discipline. It, but that discipline very much has a purpose. You know, what does God do? He, here's what he does. He, he raises up a pagan nation, um, the Babylonians, who will do to Judah, we talked about this a little bit last week, who will do to Judah exactly what the Assyrians did to the north that they're going to come in and they're going to uh, burn down the city. They're going to capture them. They're going to destroy the temple that Solomon built. And then they're going to deport the people to Babylon. Job 5, 17 and 18 says this um, in, in light of discipline. It says this, blessed is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. And then listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12, which I think is really, really good. And it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, let's, let's just be straight. Um, most of us don't like to think about being disciplined. In fact, um, you know, I, I'm fine thinking about disciplining my children. In fact, I think it's uh, as a father or a mother, uh, it's just it's part of what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to discipline our kids. But I think there comes a certain point where we know we grow up and we become adults, and, and we don't like to think about, like, as an adult being disciplined. You know, even, um, do you remember the saying, uh, maybe you never heard this as a kid, but I did. Uh, I heard the saying that said, 
um, from my father, actually, who, who said to me, this, this is going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you. How many of you remember that, right? I, I don't believe it. I think it was a lie, right? I, I, yeah. Now, I, I say this. I don't think my dad was lying. But from my perspective, right, I always thought, yeah, right, yeah? So may, maybe you felt the same. Um, there's a line that's been mentioned many times throughout the series, and here's what it says. Israel didn't keep their end of the bargain. Um, you know, I think about um, even disciplining my own kids. I always want to make sure that they know why. You know, my kids know what to do. I try to set the uh, expectation, and if my kids do not hit that expectation or if they just do the opposite of what I'm asking them to do, we discipline them. And I discipline them for a reason, because I want them to learn what, what like, ways in which uh, I want them to live or the ways in which God desires for them to live. And when they don't hit the expectations, I think I want to discipline them in the way in which I, I can help course correct. I can help get them going in the right direction. In a sense, it's, it's a bump back in line. You know, too many times uh, I think we're asking... Um, and expecting God to keep his end of the bargain when we're not. You know, we make a mess and we ask God to bless it, and then we get mad at him when he doesn't. And in fact, back to that line, right? Israel didn't keep their end of the bargain. See, here's what it is a picture of. It's a picture of, and we've talked about this before, that God is always faithful, that God is always pursuing his children, that God is always pursuing relationship with us, that God is always trying to say, hey, you can always turn to me even when you have walked away and I'm still here. And, and yet sometimes, this is just being blunt with you, we make terrible decisions, we, we choose sin, and then we want God to clean that up before we pay the consequences for it. And I just don't think that's how life works. I, I think how life works is that at times we do reap what we sow. At times we make bad decisions, and there's consequences that come with that. And, and God can. At times, I believe God can spare us consequences. I also believe there's times when God brings the absolute best out of what is bad situations, um, is out of maybe even terrible choices, that God can take those and he can redeem them. But I do think there's times when we find ourselves in a mess, and it's not because God has put us there. It's because we've not kept our end of the bargain, and we have, we have walked away from God, and we've done the very things that we know he doesn't have for us. It, it reminds me of a, a really good friend that I know. Uh, I'm going to call him Johnny, and uh, hypothetical, right? Kind of a hypothetical story. Johnny goes to Culver's a lot. And every time Johnny goes there, he orders a cheeseburger, you know, loads that thing up, and he orders French fries, and, and then he gets um, cheese curds on the side, and then he orders a large sweet tea, and he refills it a couple times, and then he chases it all with, the, with a free sundae. Um, I think about that, you know, and, and here's what I also know about Johnny, that Johnny bows his head in, in, you know, in the midst of Culver's, and he asks the Lord to bless that mess every single time he's there. But here's the deal. If Johnny continues to go to Culver's and he eats like that day after day after day, there will be consequences. That Johnny will begin to look different and Johnny will begin to feel different and his health will probably begin to take a turn. See, there's sometimes I think um, 
you know, I think about Johnny bowing his head and saying, bless this food. Um, There's only so much God can do. You know, God doesn't take cheese curds and make them green beans. It just doesn't happen. And and spiritually, I think we do the exact same thing. If you haven't figured out who Johnny is, um, keep keep thinking, you know, it could be me. But, But the reality is this, that spiritually there's times when we do things and we ask God's blessing, and I think he's looking at us saying, what in the world, how do I bless that? You know that isn't good for you. You know that isn't the way in which I've asked you to live, and yet you continue to do it and expect good results, and you expect me to bless it, and you expect me to bring about the best in your life when you know you're walking the wrong direction. And, you know, and then it's so funny, right? Because at times we end up in a place where we don't want to be. We wonder how we got there, and then many times we're like, God, how could you let that happen? And I'm just telling you, um, when it says, when that line, when it says that Israel did not keep their end of the bargain, I think we can connect with that more than we like to admit. I think I can connect with that more than I like to admit. Because God's faithfulness is never in question. The faithfulness that usually is in question is ours as we respond to the God that continues to pursue us. The Lord's correction in our life is out of love because he delights in us. Now, there is this bright spot in the story um, that can be found from the prophet Jeremiah. I spoke of prophets before, and we got another prophet who is showing up here in the story. His name is Jeremiah, and God has a plan for him uh, in this great mission. In in fact, um, I think he's got a plan for all of us, that we don't don't just get to be, uh, you know, spectators in this story. We get to be participants in this story, that God can use us, you know, across the Illinois Valley or wherever you live, where there are people that God loves. Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five say, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Here's what he's saying to Jeremiah. I have a plan for you and I've had it since day one. God tells Jeremiah that before he was born, he was set apart to do God's work. The same is true for all of us, and we see it in Ephesians that says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has a life and a plan, this upper story plan that he wants us to live into. It's overwhelming to think about sometimes. In fact, you know, there's many times where I'm thinking, oh God, like, what can you do with this? My guess is you've had the same kind of prayer when we feel like we've let God down or we feel like we're just not living up to where he wants us to live, that we say, God, like, how do you take this and how do you use this? Jeremiah felt the act, the, like the absolute same way. In fact, he says something along the lines of, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. He had all these excuses of like, Lord, you say you have this plan for me, but I'm the wrong guy. And God reaches down and he touches Jeremiah's mouth and he says, I'll be with you every step of the way. Man, that's the same for us. You you can make all the excuses you want. The reality is God can use every kind of person. In fact, I think he does more with our weaknesses than he does with our strengths when we make ourselves available to him. So you may ask, so what was actually Jeremiah's assignment? Here's what it was that he would give out the message to the people. And basically God says, hey, you're gonna give out a message to the people and they're not gonna respond to you. Boy, that sounds like, that sounds like great work, 
right? He's essentially telling him, hey, I got a job for you. And in the world's eyes, you're going to fail at it. <laughs> Go speak. And they're not going to listen. That, I mean, everybody would sign up for that, right? God tells Jeremiah that Judah needs to know the devastation that they're getting ready to face soon from the Babylonians. That um, it's not really from the Babylonians. That what they're getting ready to experience is the discipline of God. Like, in a sense, what he's saying is, What's happening now is because of the choices that you've made and the natural consequences that come from it. And I'm going to use this to shape you in the midst of it. There's a principle in this for us, though, that in God sending us to do his work, God doesn't ask us to be successful. He asks us to be faithful. I've, had, I've heard this many, many times as a pastor where someone will say, man, I felt like God was telling me to go talk to this person. And I went over and I talked to that person and whew, that did not go well. And, and I, I, I sense that what they're saying to me is, I think I missed something. I, I think I missed the message because it didn't go well. And here's what I tell you. You may not have missed the message at all. That God doesn't say that every time we're obedient to him, that the heavens are going to part and that we're going to be successful in the world's eyes. All he asks for us to do is to be faithful to what he's asked of us each and every day in the moment. And then we trust him for the results. We trust him that he can do with it whatever he chooses. You know, um, God told Jeremiah to stay behind in Jerusalem which was a mess after Judah was exiled and to write down what he saw. Jeremiah is standing in this mess and he's watching the people file out, of, um, file out to Babylon. I mean, picture that with me. You know, this burning city, this mess, and the people are filing out to Babylon. And it says that Jeremiah, it says this about him, that he weeps bitterly. And he ends up writing this, this book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. You might check it out. In fact, that word means to weep. That it was this very, it was, this, this book was written at a very sad moment when he was watching this destruction. Amidst all the tough love and discipline, God tells Jeremiah to tell Judah, now get this, to tell Judah that they're going to go for a little bit, but eventually... God is going to bring them back home. Lamentations chapter 3, here's what it says. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Some of you might recognize that from even an old song that has been sung around the church for years. But, but here's what I loved about it. The Lord's great love, because of that, we're not consumed. For his compassions never fail. The theme is clear through the story that um, God's people continue to get it wrong. They continue to not hold their end of the bargain, and God continues to pursue them. And then God gets frustrated, right? And he kind of lets them kind of reap what they sow, and he pursues them again, and he says, come on back home. They go and do their thing, and they make a mess, and he pursues them again, and they, he says, you can come back home. This happens over and over and over. See, catch, catch this line, um, which I, I heard... Um, Randy Frazee say about this, the author of this book says, with God's people, there's never discipline without God's grace coming behind it. It was true for Judah and it's true for us. Here, here's how I want us to, um, 
to wrap this up, when I think about disciplining my children, the, the truth is, I man, I do not like disciplining them. What parent does? I mean, if you do, you, I, I, I don't know how you're made up. Um, I, I don't like it. Um, and I don't get up in the morning going, oh, yes, I hope they slip up today and I get to discipline them. In fact, I have a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, and, you know, anytime I discipline them too, like, whew, the temperature gets colder in the house for a day or two, right? And uh, they don't always respond well, and it's, it's just hard. But there are times as a parent, I know it's part of my job, and I know that if I don't, there'll be consequences to that too. So I do. I, I help them course correct. Sometimes I take something away, or sometimes... It's just a conversation or sometimes it's a challenge, but there are times where like there's real discipline. And, and yet here's what I know. When I walk in their room and I say, hey, man, you messed up, right? So give me your phone. Or I walk in there and say, hey, you messed up, so give me those Xbox remotes, whatever it may be. And, and I walk away and I feel that tension. I, I feel that, um, you know, it almost, it, it hurts me too. I don't like it when you feel that strain, what feels like strain in the relationship. But usually I let that sit a while, right? I, I let them sit and I let them think about what they did. But almost always in my house, let me tell you what I do. I, I end up drifting back in that room and I end up sitting on the bed and I end up putting an arm around them and I say, hey, you know what? I, I hate taking those remotes or I, I hate taking your phone. Like that does not make my day. But the reality is, I need you to do something different because I want the best for you. I want to see God's absolute best for you. I think our Heavenly Father does the same to us over and over and over. That there are times where we, we step out of line and we reap what we sow and he disciplines us. But in my experience, it doesn't take God long to come along and he puts an arm around you and says, hey, you may have messed up, but I still love you. And my grace is so deep. And, and at any time, like, man, like all you gotta do is turn towards me and we are just right back in right relationship again. And that's what I desire. Like Kevin, as your heavenly father, I love you so much that I don't want you just to be living in this lower story that is all messed up and you're just doing your own thing. I want you to follow me that you may experience this upper story, this grand story that is a better story than you could ever write on your own. At this point, uh, I'm gonna ask the campus pastors to come and to lead you in the response. Thanks again for joining us for the Crossbridge Podcast. The mission of Crossbridge is to lead others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And we'd love to partner with you on your spiritual journey. So please let us know how we can come alongside you and support you and pray for you by visiting crossbridge.church.